The Stars need goal-scoring depth and young all-star talent. Detroit needs talent, defense, a young goalie, and their young guns to shine. Edmonton hopes goaltending and depth remain a key theme beyond this year, but can their prospect pools deliver? Episode 215 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts... them up here's brett and steve right now and welcome to the show ladies and gentlemen i'm steve ellsworth i'm brett dubuff and we're dissecting three more teams as part of our prospect series today's victims are patients dallas detroit and edmonton yeah i know it's um i guess we're getting through it all for now mm-hmm. so it's pretty exciting and stuff like that uh, yeah, so we're we're gonna start off with Dallas, um, and yeah, so we're gonna uh, they kind of actually I think I remember they used to have a, quite a big uh, prospect pool, but they uh, didn't. Um, but now, or like they didn't have a big prospect pool because they were always in the playoffs. I mean, they still are always in the playoffs, but. The last couple of years, they've actually had a couple of good, decent draft picks that have uh, kind of made some noise. Um, so we're going to start with, um, I believe, the first one that I have here. I have to look up the list here. But I believe the first one we were going to talk about is, oh, actually, I should talk about the Cap Friendly page here Yeah. Uh, before I do all that. Um, it's uh, so, so this this offseason uh there are five ufas um and only one of them is kind of notable but uh which is anton gudobin Mm -hmm. um and uh there's also roman polak andre sakara Corey perry and matthias janmark as well those aren't as notable i mean i guess Corey perry used to be pretty notable but not anymore and also, I guess Martin Hansel, who was on LTIR, he's got his contract's going to be off the books pretty soon too. And I guess he just retired because he's been on LTIR for a couple seasons now. Um, and then as for RFA's, yeah, ret- retired or not, he's not coming back. Retired right, or not, he's not coming for back for sure. Um, and then as for RFA's, we have uh, Radek Faxa, uh, D- Denise uh, Girianov and uh, Rupe Hintz. So Giryanov and Hintz have both been pretty good um, in recent years and they've been good depth pieces for them. Um, but also, as I mentioned before, the uh, stars have kind of, um, have kind of uh, like, uh, they've actually drafted pretty well, or at least in the first year or the first round, uh, the last two years, uh, the the first one we're going to talk about, though, is uh, Ty Delandria. Um, he was the 2018 pick, and I get he was the 13th overall um, pick there. Um, the thing that was notable, and you you'll probably talk about this more, was that I remember you were telling me this when he was drafted was that for the he played for the Flint Firebirds, um, and the the last couple of years and. 
you know, he he had 59 points in 67 games when the year he was drafted, which doesn't stand, like doesn't stand stand out that much. But then when you were telling me in context where he was pretty much the only good player on the team, so it's basically like Connor McDavid on the Edmonton Oilers before Drysaddle really blew up, um, basically. So. Um, which was kind of an interesting parallel, I thought. Um, and then the next year, he had more than a point per game with 63 points in 60 games. This year, he really flew off the handle. He had 70 points in 47 games, um, and he also made it to the World Juniors um, and had five points in seven games. So um, all this leads me to believe that this is going to be like a work in progress, but the Dallas Stars kind of had... I mean, I don't know if they can afford to wait for him, but um, he he should be like. If I were them, I would still put I would put them in like him in the AHL um, for like maybe a year and then uh, see how he does, and then put him in the for the NHL um, on the Dallas Stars uh, just for the time being, because I mean they do need a second line center, um, and it's not like when you look at the glaring need for the stars, they they have Ben Bishop, who's phenomenal. They have John Klingberg and Miro Heiskanen and even Essa Lindell. So they're good on defense as well, but like the forward group, uh, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn haven't been that good, um, or as good as they should be, I should say. And uh, that's been about it. I mean, sure, Garyanov and... Um, the other guy uh, who I just talked about, uh, Rupe Hintz, have been a decent, but you know you need more of those guys. So I think Ty DeLandria could fit in to being a good depth piece for the Dallas Stars um, in the coming uh, years. And if there's one thing the Dallas Stars need is goals and offensive depth, which yep. they which they lack consistently in, as they're a team that relies mostly on Bishop and Hugh Dobin to keep the puck out of the net. So Delantre will help in that regard. The one thing I want to point out about this kid is his character. And there is a reason why the OHL's Flint Firebirds struggled out of the gate. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you remember what happened in 2015-16 where the owner's son uh, was on the Firebirds. Um, I believe Rolf Nilsson is his name and Haken Nilsson was his son. He was a defenseman. And the owner thought his kid wasn't getting enough ice time. So the coach, John Gruden, was fired. The players found out about this, didn't like it, quit the team in protest, then came back after the coach was hired. Only months later, the coach was fired again after getting a contract extension from the owner and the owner was suspended five years by the OHL so that was the situation that was going on in Flint months later the Firebirds drafted Ty DeLandria with the fifth overall pick and at the time there were a lot of people that didn't want to play for the Firebirds but uh, this quote really stuck out to me about Ty and the kind of person he is and he says I figured I have to be loyal to them if they were willing to take a chance on me with a top five pick. 
That's basically what he said. So right away, he gets instant respect and credibility because he's willing to go into a tough situation and be the change. He wants to make things better. And he quickly became a leader, the heart and soul of this team. And they were on the verge of their best season finish had it not been for, of course, the pandemic. That's messed up everything. But the Firebirds were doing the best they've ever done this year, well on their way to a playoff spot didn't sneak their way in they actually earned their ticket this year um and it's unfortunate uh, they weren't rewarded um so i just wanted to point out that delandria's character sticks out to me more than the player but if you want to talk about what he brings offensively um in his draft year he led his team in goals with 27 he had 239 shots on goal 10 power play goals and if you want to talk about his face-off capabilities. In order to be playing at center, you need to win face-offs. And in his draft year, in the league, he was second in face-offs taken behind Aaron Luchuk, and he was third in face-off wins. Um, he took 1,481 draws, won 50.6% of his face-offs. 2018-19, face-off percentage jumps from 50 Point six to 57.5 he takes 1,401 draws wins 806 of them fourth in the league in faceoffs taken third once again in faceoff victories this year where he gets 70 points in 34 games 32 goals 215 shots nine power play goals he takes 1,094 draws again he only played 47 games so it probably would have been a lot more in a full season and he won 647 of them so his face-off win percentage was shy of 60. It was at 59.1 this year. So he's a pretty decent offensive player, check. He wins face-offs, check. He wins a lot of face-offs, check. And he's a very good character player. So I definitely think he could be centering the second line or the third line on the star someday, Brett, but I agree at least a year or two in the AHL before that happens. Yeah, it's funny. It's, I'm reading the uh, hockey news perspective on him, and they are saying that they could see him in the league in 2020-2021, as well mm-hmm. as the fact that the assistant GM, Scott White, expects Delandria will be in the NHL sooner rather than later. So you may see him next year even, <laughs> which would be interesting. Yeah, and he's and his work ethic is just as yeah. top notch as his character too. Of which, course. in terms of NHL longevity, you need to have a good work ethic. Yeah. All right. So the next guy we're going to talk about is Jason Robertson, um, and this is uh, this. Yeah, I mean, of course, Steve will know this, but this is something I just found out just by reading about him. Uh, he uh, he won the OHL scoring title last year, which is. Uh, Cool news for, especially for uh, the Dallas Stars, and they they used to always have um, not great prospects, but they uh, it's not that's not bad for a 2017 round second uh, pick for for uh, the Dallas Stars here. Um, anyways, <laughs> he had uh, I guess last year he had. He really took off on the Niagara Ice Dogs when he was traded from the Kingston Frontiac, um, where he had 79 points in 38 games for them. 
let me do some quick math here. Um, by that, I mean just look on the calculator. Uh, so he had 117 points in uh, 50-something games. Um, <laughs> I think that's right, 60-something games, which isn't bad, obviously. Yeah, uh, 62 to be precise. 62. You, yeah, you Thank got you. the points right. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. pretty cool. Well, because I calculated the the points, I just didn't calculate <laughs> the games did. played. I thought you did head math for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I like to. I forget that people can't see my screen, so. Um, <laughs> um, or can they see mine? Yeah, yeah, of course. Anyways, uh, that but then he goes to the AHL this year, um, where in sixty games he had forty seven points. Uh, which isn't bad, um, obviously, uh, but 25 of those were goals. Um, and then he plays uh, some games for De the Dallas Stars even, um, and he gets one assist in three games. Um, this is one of those situations, though, where like he could, he's going to get a lot of opportunity in the NHL, particularly because like Jamie Benn hasn't been as good as what he used to be, and he's pretty old right now. Um, and I did mention Garyanov and Rupe Hints, but like pretty much everyone else has, isn't that great. I guess there's Radulov, but um, yeah, other than that, in terms of like wingers, there aren't too many good options for the Dallas Stars in that regard. Um, I It is interesting though that they got this guy in the second round um, and all that stuff, but uh, I think he could be on the same level, if not better, than Garyanov and Ribe Hintz once he's adjusted to the league. This guy screams goal scorer, which is exactly what the Dallas Stars need. And I'm on, honestly, um, as a guy who watches the OHL a lot, and him playing in the same division as the Ottawa 67s before he got traded to Niagara we kind of knew what Jason Robertson was capable of, by the way, the older brother of Nick Robertson, at least prospect who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but this guy, all he did was score goals and yeah, he got a fair amount of assists, but he is primarily a goal scorer. You look at 2016, 17, 42 goals, 301 shots, 12 power play goals, 32 power play points. 2017-18, 41 goals, 308 shots, 15 power play goals, 36 power play points. This past year with Niagara and Kingston combined, 48 goals, 117 points, which led the OHL, as Brett mentioned, 296 shots, 17 power play goals, 53 power play points. So you're talking about a lethal power play producer that can score power play goals, you look at a guy that averages 300 shots per season, not too many guys do that, and not too many average around that for three straight years and score 40-plus goals in three straight years like he did. His final OHL season was honestly his best, and I will explain first by saying in 2018-19, the Kingston Frontenacs were terrible. The reason why they got Shane Wright an exceptional fast pick was because they were terrible. And Jason Robertson 
played 24 games with them, scored 23 goals on 131 shots. That's a 17.5 shooting percentage on a bad team. He had nine power play goals and 17 power play points. Honestly, it felt like every third or fourth goal the Frontenacs scored early on in that season was by Jason Robertson because they basically had nobody else on offense. They were a rebuilding roster because, you know, every four or five years that happens with a dominant OHL franchise. They feel the pain eventually, and the Frontenacs felt that pain then. But Robertson was making them look less bad than what they actually were. And it reflected in the record once he left how good the Frontenacs were with Jason Robertson keeping them afloat. So then he goes to Niagara, adds another 25 goals in 38 games. So the goal per game isn't really as high, but keep in mind, he was also on the same team as uh, some, uh, as a team like um, the Ice Dogs because they had uh, Philip Tomasino, Akil Thomas. They had a lot of weapons to work with there. So 25 goals, 165 shots. That's still good for a 15.1 shooting percentage. He added 36 power play points and eight power play goals with the Ice Dogs. So that season alone was Jason Robertson his peak, but we me personally i had a feeling this guy was going to be an absolute star in the nhl someday just based on that playoff performance and he didn't really get a chance to dominate in the playoffs because uh, the frontnecks and the ice dogs didn't go as deep as they did but even still he played 10 games in the playoffs last year got seven goals on 57 shots still pretty respectable for a second round exit so when you take a look at Jason Robertson in a couple of years, and when you consider that he ranks 10th in the AHL in goals in his rookie season, in a full season where he'd probably get 30 there, there's not a doubt in my mind that he could be a 30 goal scorer in the NHL. And I think in the next three years, he is going to get a chance. And dare I say it, might take Jimmy, Jamie Ben's job as the number one left winger because they need primary offense. Jamie Ben is their leader, but they need offense, and this guy brings it. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, Jamie Ben hasn't been as good as um, as he was a couple of years ago, but still, like, he's still making nine point five million dollars, and. Uh, uh, it's not looking good for six more years, so that's um, it's not great. But yeah, if if they can have someone like a Jason Robinson uh, compete, obviously that's gonna do well for them. But um, we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. It could be like a I have a feeling it could be like a Zach Parise Ryan Suter type situation if Jamie Ben isn't as um, good or as productive, even minimally mm-hmm. productive. But imagine um, if Jason Robertson can be a 30-goal scorer and Ben returns to form. Imagine how good the Stars look now. And Tyler Sagan, And, Ru- yeah. and, and Rupe Hintz and Sagan, too. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that yeah. could be good, too. Um, all right, let's go to the draft pick that the Stars made this year. Uh, in 2019, they, or I guess last year, um, they picked a Thomas Harley of the uh, Mississauga Steelheads. Um, mm-hmm. So another OHL player. 
Uh, he's a defenseman this time, um, which is interesting because the Stars do have Miro Heiskanen and John Klingberg, who should be good for them for the next couple of years, but, um, and Essa Lindell as well. But uh, it's not like uh, Thomas Harley has been that bad either. Um, he, uh, like this year, he had 57 points in 59 games, which is really good for a defenseman because that's almost a point per game. Um, it says here that he pretty much had a point per game until like the last couple of games here in the hockey news. So, um, so that's interesting there. Um, and then last year, his, you know, his draft year, he had 58 points in 68 games. Um, and then he went to the, the World Juniors for Team Canada, where he had four points in seven games um, for the under-18s. Um, he did not, he got snubbed to be in the World Juniors this year, but I still think that, you know, it says here that he was the assistant captain um, this season for the Misaga Steelheads. Obviously, you know more about it. Um, in terms of his future, though, I feel like because they do have Klingberg, Heiskanen, and Lindell, they can afford to wait on this guy. Um, all signs show that he'll be pretty good, but um, because they have a pretty young D crew already, and a pretty good one, too, they can afford to wait on him. Um, and it's not like their cap situation's that bad, either, in terms of defensemen. Uh, Klingberg has two more years. Heiskanen, I guess, has one more year on his RFA. Um, and then Esselindel is, like, has five more years. Um, so they, they can afford to, like, wait on Thomas Harley because that's not too bad in terms of contracts. So it's not like, I guess, maybe Miro Heiskanen will probably get a payday when his, art, when his contract's up, but... Um, for the time being, it's still uh, not bad, and I could see them uh, adding Thomas Harley, who can add some another. They could add another offensive defenseman for them. Yeah, and the one thing I've noticed with uh, most of these Dallas Stars prospects that we're talking about, um, they're they're not small. They're they're fairly decent size. Yeah. Um, the Landria, for example, according to Elite Prospects, he's six foot one, weighs one hundred ninety pounds. Uh, Jason Robertson, six foot two, weighs two hundred one, according to prospects. And uh, this guy we're about to talk about, Thomas Harley, six three, one ninety two, according to elite prospects. So um, there's a fair amount of decent size on the stars there. And for blue liners, uh, size is definitely key there. Um, as a rookie in 2017-18, he only had fifteen points, but that was a Mississauga Steelheads team that had Nick Hague on it, and that was the year he got 35 goals, which for a defenseman, getting a 30-goal season, 35-goal season is absolutely absurd. But you don't see that too often. Even in the NHL, the closest we saw a player, a defenseman, get to 30 goals in a season was Brent Burns. He, I don't think he got to 30 but one year, but he got close. Um, and that was a couple of years ago. So... Um, just just to add that as an asterisk. Um, so 11 goals and 58 points in 2018-19 draft year. That's pretty good. Uh, also had 31 power play points. 26 of those were assists. Um, this past year, 57 points and 59 points for close to a point per game. He had 18 goals this time, 182 shots, 27 power play points. 
Um, one of the league's best blue liners, I would say, uh, top 10 in multiple categories, uh, to be precise. This year, he was sixth amongst OHL defenders in goals, ninth in assists, seventh in points, sixth in shots on goal, third in power play goals, 10th in power play assists. The guy has a lot of offensive upside. You are right, though, Brett, when you say they can afford to wait on this guy. Um, being billed as an effortless skater, he's got the ability to react quickly and carry the puck well, respond to pressure situations. Um, his passing is as good as his soul skating, which makes for a good transition performance. Um, he also has good gap control, so very tough to beat across the blue line. Solid and effective reach. And if you want to beat him on pure speed, good luck because he has good lateral mobility. He has good backwards mobility. He can neutralize whatever the other team brings to the table. On the left side, because Thomas Harley is a left-handed shot, they have quite a few options, short-term and long-term. In the short-term, they have Andre Sakira, Jamie Alexiak uh, as well. Um, he brings a different element. He's not really their offensive defenseman, but he is very, very big. I think he's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, um, pulls to Zdeno Chera's size. And he brings a lot of physical energy to the group, which is something that I think the Dallas Stars need. So I think he's probably going to be around for longer than most people think. And you also have, as you mentioned, S.L. Lindell that can chip in offensively and defensively. He's got a fair amount of term, uh, five years, I believe is what Brett said. Yep. Uh, and then there's Miro Heiskin in a top three pick that many think will win the Norris Trophy someday. So there's not an overwhelming expectation for Harley to be an impact player in the next three years. I think a year or two in the AHL would do him some good after he's done junior. And even then, I think another year of junior would do him some good. So I think in five years is probably when you're going to see Thomas Harley at least try to make an impact on the Dallas Stars. Right. Yeah, I could see that happening. Because um, he has some time, which is good. Uh, but yeah, they kind of have an overload of defensemen there. Speaking of which, the next guy we're going to talk about, uh, Jake Ettinger. Uh, he's on the Texas Stars right now um, in the OHL. He was there actually the first round pick in 2017, much like Miro Heiskanen. Um, but the reason why I say speaking of which, because uh, Ben Bishop is still in net for the, the Dallas Stars uh, for the time being. Um, however, I was just looking at his stats. I thought he wasn't doing so well in the Texas, uh, in the AHL for some reason. But I'm looking here, he had, he kind of, uh, paved his way this year, uh, for the Texas Stars. He had, um, in 38 games, he had, he has a GAA of 2.57 and a save percentage of 9.17. Uh, last year, he was, he played for BU, um, and he had, in 36 games, he had a 2.45 GAA and a save percentage of 9.26. But then when he went to the AHL for six games, uh, he had a below 900 uh, save percentage and a GAA of 2.47, which isn't terrible for a GAA, but that save percentage isn't great. Obviously, that's only in six games. 
However, I guess this year, uh, since he did play more games, um, 38, more, um, in fact, uh, it, it turns out that he got better. Um, and so that's interesting too. And I guess it's kind of like a similar situation with Thomas Harley for Edinger too, is because they have Ben Bishop in net, uh, they can afford to wait on him um, and develop him properly uh, versus just like rushing him into the league and ruining his confidence right away. So um, so I could I could see him maybe like play, being the backup uh, n even next year. Uh, for them, and uh, and then we could, you know, uh, see um, see like a one A one B situation in in like maybe two or three years, because Anton Kudobin's going to be a UFA. Um, I could see maybe Kudobin just going to another team, um, and just have they have Jacob, you know, Jake Edinger just as a backup there, um, just to see what they have. If there's one thing that Dallas Stars should take note is don't rush your star goalie of the future because um, they expected Jack Campbell to be that guy and he wasn't. So they need well, to make I mean, sure he's doing they need pretty, to make sure they get it right with that. That's guy. true. Yeah. He is, do, but J, to be fair, Jack Campbell has been decent in Toronto now. But yeah, you're right. They did kind of ruin Jack Campbell. Yeah, and also I would argue. Jack Campbell is a capable backup, which isn't nothing in the NHL, but not what he was billed as when he was first drafted. They're expecting a young goalie of the future to be a consistent starter and win games for them. Um, that's something they haven't had since Marty Turco, although Ben Bishop is the closest thing to that. They tried the tandem with Lettinen and the Emmy. That didn't work. Uh, Jack Campbell didn't pan out, so... They need to make sure they don't rush this guy and they just develop him naturally. And if I were the stars, I'd bring back Udovan on a one-year deal if they can. That that would probably be my preference is to keep the band of Bishop and Udovan for one more season, give Edinger one more season in the AHL to continue his development because I don't think one AHL season is good enough, as good as his numbers are, um, and I would like to see him continue to develop and continue to build on his confidence uh taking a look at uh, some of his numbers uh he also played for the usndp uh, u18 program before he went uh to ncaa hockey in 15 ushl games he had a 2.24 gaa and a 919 save percentage in 37 games with the usdp um, he had a 2.38 GAA and a 908 save percentage. Um, also took part in the U18 challenge with the Americans uh, in 2016-17, I believe. Um, he had a 1.5 GAA and a 934 save percentage in four starts there. Um, actually, I think I, th I actually I think that was 2015-16. Irregardless, uh, pretty good numbers there. Uh, then he goes to Boston University, top 10 in goals against, top 10, in, uh, close to the top 10 in goals against, sorry, and top 10 in safety percentage his first year. Numbers went down a bit in his second year, but in year three, he bounced back. Also found out that uh, he was a 
apparently assistant captain for um, his college team in his third year, which I didn't know. Apparently, uh, you learn something new every day. Uh, Elite prospect says he wore the A that year, so um, Mm. that was interesting. Uh, Taking a look at his AHL stats, you're right, Brett, they were very good. Um, He was uh, seventh in the AHL in shots faced. Over 38 games, he had 1,083 shots faced. Third on the list of rookie net miners. That's an average of 28.5 shots per game. His overall record, 15-6-3, three shutouts. Um, so a 9-17 save percentage looks even better there. Especially when you look at the stars as a unit. Yeah, they have Jason Robertson, and they have um, a couple of other pretty decent prospects playing for AHL Texas. If you look at the standings, though, um, they're a couple of games below 500. They're on the outside looking in the playoff picture. They're, I think, fifth out of seven or six out of eight teams in their division. The good news is third place in that division is only four points ahead of them. So if they started to go on a run, they could have they could have made the playoffs. And, and the reason they were in a playoff position in the first place was because of Jake Outinger. Um so I'm just interested to see if Jake can turn into the guy that Jack Campbell could not, because that's what the stars need. Right. Yeah. I mean, they they are doing pretty well with Ben Bishop in that, but I guess the same thing for Ben Bishop is he is 33 right now, so he could. Yeah, and th- and that's the problem. How many prime right. years of Ben Bishop are left? Exactly. Right? Especially when Bishop does get injured or has a big yeah. injury history. Um, for sure. All right. So this next guy, um, it's kind of interesting how I found out about this guy because when I was looking for player prospects that we should talk about for the Dallas Stars, um, you know, obviously you should talk about Delandria, Harley, Edinger, um, Robertson. Oh, those are all standouts. But everyone else, kind of, you're just like, those are the only four prospects that you really hear about. Um, so then when I went to Elite Prospects, I find out that. The top scorer for the uh, the Dallas Stars prospects pool is uh, this guy named Riley Damiani. Uh, by the way, another OHL player. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the Dallas Stars really recruits well in the OHL. Uh, he plays for the Kitchener Rangers, um, and he had the highest score for the the Dallas Stars. Um, I had never heard of him before, but uh, when I was looking at his numbers, it's it's pretty good. He's a fifth round pick in the 2018 draft, um, which is, I would imagine, not a lot of people have heard of him. Um, but he had uh, 78 points this year in 61 games for the Kitchener uh, Rangers. Um, and last year he had 85 points in 58 games uh, for the Kitchener Rangers. The thing that I, I guess the reason, or a couple of reasons why he went to the fifth round spot, um, or that he hasn't been as heard of because those numbers are good enough, um, is that, uh, well, first off, the last, the, the two years before that, his draft year and the, the draft year minus one, um, he had 37 points in 64 games and the year before that, he had 22 points in 62 games. So that's yeah, which, which is which combined is less than what he got in his third year alone. Yeah, yeah, but he was 16 years old at that point, so it's like yeah, oh, pretty sure. crazy. Yeah, 
Um, and also, uh, the other thing that I noticed was that he's 5'10", um, and 172 pounds, and he's also listed as a center, which is pretty small for a center. Uh, so I imagine that had some, that raised some doubts too, or, um, some eyeballs. But, I mean, just based off of what he's done, been able to do the last two years, that's, that's pretty promising for sure. And obviously you want to see what he can do in the AHL, and I'm sure, um, he could be pretty good in the, for the Texas Stars, but, um, this could be like another Jamie Ben type situation where like Jamie Ben was another fifth round pick where they all of a sudden just find like a diamond in the rough type player. Um, and he could be pretty good, but obviously he's more risky, um, to be in the league compared to the other four players we just talked about. Yeah. Um, you go from talking about a six, four Jake Oettinger to a guy under six feet, mm-hmm. you know, that's a pretty significant size decrease there. Um, there are also two players that I feel like we should quickly mention that sure. I would argue had better numbers than Damiani. Uh, one of them was Adam Maskerin, who was drafted by the Panthers, didn't yep, sign with them, one. re-entered the NHL draft. The Dallas Stars took him in the fourth round, two rounds lower than where he first went. And he was a guy that would, in the OHL, in a span of three years, 2015-16 to 2017-18, this guy averaged 35 to 40 goals, 80 to 100 points, 45 to 65 assists, and anywhere between 250 and 280 shots on goal. He did that every year for three straight years. And then you also had Ty Falaber, who really came into his own yeah, with Ottawa as Cobrager in 2018-19. The Stars signed him, and he's slowly developing in their system, but... Fellaber, I think, is like Damiani, is is kind of like a working project that it'll take a bit of time, but it could turn into something. Um, this is a guy that isn't a superstar right away. It takes a bit of time to get going, but when he really finds his stride, he's gone. Good luck catching him. Um, the year after his draft year, he had 30 goals and 85 points. Uh, 14.3 shooting percentage, uh, just over 200 shots, 10 power play goals with Kitchener. Um, And part of the reason why it took him a bit of time is because, like the London Knights, because everyone knows how good the London Knights have been in the OHL, the OHL's Kitchener Rangers have also been pretty good at developing prospects and always being a relevant threat in the OHL's Western Conference. And they had a lot of good pieces over Damiani's first two years. Uh, They brought in Logan Brown. They brought in Logan Stanley on defense. They had some pretty good teams there. They also had Adam Maskerin on the Rangers too. Uh, Jonathan Yancis, who had 24 power play goals and 50 goals one year as well. So he didn't really get the chance to offensively flourish until the year after his draft year. And then this year, he was the center. He was the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. With 78 points in 61 games, also chipped in with 28 goals, 231 shots. Uh, the one thing he's probably going to have to work on is faceoffs, um, because as we mentioned with Ty Delandria, when you play center, that's something you got to do is win faceoffs. And in every single OHL season he's played, he hasn't finished a season. 50% or better. The best that he did 
was 48.6% this past year. Um, he took 1,022 draws, won 497 of those. Uh, didn't even get to 900 faceoffs in a season until this past year. And even then, it, the best season he had as a faceoff guy before this year was in 2017-18, his draft year, when he won 46% of his draws. So faceoffs are a bit of work in progress with uh, Damiani. I definitely think a couple of years in the AHL is what he needs uh, to continue his development. And after that, we'll see what he's got. But um, I think in terms of the guys that we talked about, his road to the NHL is going to be the toughest. Yeah, and and it's kind of interesting too because Thomas Harley and Jake Edinger's road to the NHL is also it's going to be pretty tough already um, no matter mm -hmm. how good they, they have been that's true alright so now let's go to the Detroit Red Wings here um, yeah it's pretty interesting because uh, for the oh well first off I guess we should mention this now because we didn't really mention this before in the other ones but this is a, as good of a time as any to talk about the fact that uh, the 2020 draft uh, we're not even talking about any of the 2020 draft people here. Um, and the Detroit Red Wings had by far the worst team this year. They had 39 points in 71 games. But the next closest team uh, to them was the Ottawa Senators. Um, yep. And the, the Ottawa Senator had 62 points. And that's like a 20-point difference between the last spot. 23 points. Um, that's a 23-point difference between the 31 spot and the 32 and the 30th spot in the NHL. I mean, obviously, this is assuming that they just uh, the NHL goes straight to the playoffs if there is a if there is a playoffs. But uh, so that means that um, at worst, the Detroit Red Wings will get the fourth overall pick in the 2020 draft. Um, yes, assuming the lottery yeah. screws them over because and, they have yeah. they have already secured this is how bad they are. Yeah. They've already secured last place in the league. Exactly. They've already done it. Yeah. Before the coronavirus got in the way, they, they already, had already done. They already did it. So that means that like probably like if they don't get the first two picks, which will probably be Lafreniere and Byfield. The third pick will probably be like Marco Rossi, but they still have like a choice between like um, a bunch of like these Swedish players like Holes, Raymond. I think there's another one that I'm blanking on. And then, there's a Stutzel, but I Stutzel, believe he's German. Stutzel's another one. Uh, Marco Rossi. Um, I mentioned uh, Cole Perfetti. Maybe Perfetti, they go yeah. with Askarov. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're already going to, like, and we're about to talk about a couple of prospects already, and they've been pretty good, too. So, uh, yeah, Steve Yeiserman knows what he's doing is basically what I'm saying. Um, and anyways, they also have a ton of cap space um, because a lot of the free, there's going to be a lot of free agents this year uh, for the Detroit Red Wings, uh, although a couple are restricted free agents and, um, probably players that are going to be paid. Uh, the main two, though, are uh, Anthony Mantha and Tyler Bertuzzi, who are both RFAs. Uh, they're probably going to get paid a fair amount. Yep. Um, also, Robbie Fabry as well. I would imagine he's going to get paid too, but maybe not as much 
as the other two I just mentioned. Other RFAs uh, to mention Adam Ernie, uh, Brandon Perlini, Christian, Christopher N, and Dimitro yep. Timoshov, um, also Madison Bowie. Um, and then as for UFAs, they have Sam Gagne, who I even forgot was on the Detroit Red Wings. I guess that was a trade deadline move. Um, yeah, that was that was the Mike Green trade. Oh, okay. I thought that was the Andreas Athanasiu. Yeah, okay, but sorry. It was it either Mike both. Green or Andreas Athanasiu. It might it have been one, one of those two, two yeah. Uh, Jonathan Erickson, Trevor Daly, uh, Cody Golubeff. And yeah, then, they, he yeah. was the Sens blue liner. They got him off waivers. And then, of course, Jimmy Howard um, as well. And the interesting thing about the Detroit Red Wings is they have a fair amount of good forwards here. They don't have a ton of good defensemen or goalies. Um, and so that's going to be a, a need for them. Oh, I guess Jamie Drysdale. They could get Jamie Drysdale in fourth as well. That's yeah. another one. Um, so... So yeah, that's the uh, interesting thing here. Um, all right, so so the first guy we're going to talk about uh, for the Detroit Red Wings is Philip Zadina, um, and he. So last year um, he went. He actually uh, he played his first nine games for Detroit, and he had three games. I guess he went into the league a little bit later. Um, actually, I should I should preface this by saying, because it's kind of an interesting story, because I remember in 2018, the talk was that it was going to be, um, you know, Darlene, Sveshnikov, Zadina, and then the rest uh, was kind of like a crapshoot, or not a crapshoot, yeah. but like a, you don't know who it's going That's to be. But, but yeah, but what ended up happening was uh, Montreal Canadiens really needed a center, so they went yep. with the best center available at the time, which was Katka Niemi. Um, and then the Ottawa Senators went with Brady Kachuk. That's yep. turned out well for them, but it was kind of controversial at the time. Um, yep. And then Arizona went with Barrett Hayden. Um, and then uh, the Detroit Red Wings kind of lucked out and got Philip Zadina at six. Um, however, I mean, Hayden, Kachuk, and Kotkanemi have all had their moments, and they all should be pretty good forward, uh, forwards in this league, and Brady Kachuk is already a good player. But um, it's just, uh, it's, it's just like, uh, I remember, like, this was a big thing because we saw that Zadina was, you know, passed up by all these players, and I re and he even said, or this is now a famous quote, but he says that he looks forward to filling uh, Ottawa and Montreal's nets um, because they passed up on him, uh, which is like a good confidence type thing to have um, yep. for for this kind of guy. Um, and so far, he's kind of he's been pretty good actually. Um, maybe not as good as we all hoped or hyped him up to be, but. He still uh, was decent, um, and he was finally getting going for the Detroit Red Wings this season, uh, where he had 15 points in 28 games, but then he got injured in around, like, I want to say December, um, and didn't play for the rest of the time. 
Um, and that's probably that probably was good for him because considering how bad the Red Wings were at the time. But um, even uh, you know in Grand Rapids, he had 16 points in 21 games. Um, and then the year before that, I think I mentioned this already, but he had 35 points in 59 games. Um, and then in the playoffs, uh, those playoffs, he had three points in five games in the playoffs. Um, he also was in the World Juniors the year before that, um, and he only had one point in five games. So that's not great, but I mean, the World Juniors is obviously just a small sample size already. Uh, just by its nature of it. So um, maybe, you know, it's tough to tell how good he could be. Um, However, like, you know, in the NHL, he was, uh, you know, he was already getting going and he's 20 years old. Um, I I think the world of him, basically, and I think he's he's basically just going to be a goal scorer now, uh, whether they do get, like, Lafreniere or whoever. Um, he like that that can only help Sedina even more so um, if if they get better teammates. Yeah, and the thing to keep in mind with Lafreniere and Rossi, as good as they are, um, they set people up. Yep. And I think Sedina needs to be the trigger man, and someone needs to be feeding him the puck. And I think when you get that dynamic duo going. Detroit is going to be a much better team. Certainly not as bad as they were this year. Um, he only played one season in the QMJHL. That was his draft year uh, in 2017-18. He was with the QMJHL's Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, did not disappoint the Maritimes with 44 goals and 38 assists. That's a total of 72, uh, 82 points rather in 57 games. Led all rookies in goals, assists, and points. Seventh in scoring in the league, two points clear of Lafreniere, who was also a rookie at the time. Uh, he ranked 13th in the league in shots on goal with 234, tops amongst rookies as well. Uh, eight power play goals, three shorthanded, five game winners, uh, 18.8 shooting percentage. Uh, I think the only other goal scorers in the top five who had a better shooting percentage uh were Vitaly Abramov who is now a Sens prospect was with Columbus and uh, Maxime Comtois who is a Ducks prospect so pretty good showing there uh nine playoff games in 2018 five goals on 36 shots added seven assists for a total of 12 points so that's over four shots per game for a team that didn't get past the second round uh those numbers plus a 13.8 shooting percentage pretty respectable um you take a look at his international play also pretty good he was a top three player on team Czech republic at the u18 challenge in 2015-16 um got the same honors the next year when the Czech struck gold um, so pretty good rap sheet for zadina so far and then he plays in the 2018 world juniors where in seven games he gets seven goals and one assists uh was eventually drafted six overall after that. Uh, you take a look at his AHL numbers. 2018-19, Detroit's farm team in Grand Rapids went 38-27-11. Um, their goal differential was a minus five, and that's partly because they ended the year on a nine-game slide. Uh, special teams were bad. 
three other teams did worse on them in the PK, and their power play was ranked 30th out of 31 teams. So when you consider his four power play goals in 59 games, that's actually pretty good. He also had uh, 16 goals, 35 points, and 11.8 shooting percent as an AHL rookie. This year in 21 games, nine goals and seven assists, 17.3 shooting percentage. So his, so his uh, shooting percentage almost went up by a full six percentage points. And in 21 games, he had five power play goals, one more than he did all of last year. So as you could see right there, he was starting uh, to find his groove a little bit. And then he goes into the NHL where the numbers have kind of been iffy, but there have been parts in this season where he really started to find his groove and get some confidence. So I think the task for him is to like really keep that going. I think he needs to stay at one level where the NHL or the AHL in the full season, um, just, just to really become the guy and really get the confidence going like i said and um i think for goal score confidence is the key because it's really tough to break out when you're constantly in that rut and you're just trying to yeah. you know break a massive scoring slump that kind of gets into your head it affects your overall game and i think the importance for zadina is to just really be confident with where his game is at um, because that's when he's really going to be at his best. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the next guy we're going to talk about is um, Moritz Seider. Um, and he, yeah. this is another one. Well, actually, uh, maybe not another one. But the next year, we um, this is kind of uh, the, the Red Wings also picked six overall last that year, too, or this year, too. Um, it was kind of a big deal too because it kind of fell out of nowhere. Um, we the Red Wings because he was like Mort Sider was kind of projected to be picked in the you know twenty second overall or uh, something like that. But the Red Wings and he didn't have like a great draft year in the German league uh, where he had six points in twenty nine games, um, but. Uh, I guess it just shows how uh, confident Steve Yeiserman is in this kid because uh, he drafted him six overall. If you like a guy, you like a guy, basically. Um, mm. And he he's kind of like, you know, at 19 year old, they put him in Grand Rapids and uh, just saw what they had in him. He had uh, 29 points in 49 games um, in Grand Rapids. Um, and then he also played for Germany in the World Juniors, where he had six points in seven games. Um, so, uh, so his offense uh, basically turned up um, <laughs> in in the sense, uh, which is pretty interesting, especially uh, considering that he's playing with a, a in a league where there are like a lot of players that are older than him, um, and he's 19 years old. Uh, the other thing that's interesting with Mort Sider is that, I mean, other than, I guess, uh, Philip Hironik, um, there aren't really too many defensemen that the Detroit Red Wings really have here. So, Mort Sider could be in the league even next year, I could see, um, just because of how good he's been um, in the AHL already. Um, and, you know, I think... Uh, you know, Cider could be 
Um, like just a good pick for the the Red Wings. It turns out um, it's it's kind of one of those things like in Yeiserman we trust kind of thing, um, where I guess Yeiserman knew what he had in this guy, and um, and it turns it's so far it's turned out pretty well. Yeah, um, when he was drafted sixth overall, I was looking back to what Steve Eisman did in Tampa Bay, how he was able to draft good players and consistently do so, not just in the first round, but beyond the first round. And that trade with Ottawa where he got Ben Bishop and only gave up Corey Conacher instead of Tyler Johnson, who at the time nobody knew about, but um, quickly became into an integral part of what uh, Tampa Bay did in the years to come. When I look back at what Yeisman did in Tampa Bay and the rap sheet that he has, I'm just thinking, okay, there's something clearly that he knows that the rest of us are oblivious to, and we're going to find out in five years that he's a genius again. And I'm fully expecting that with Moritz Sider, uh, a guy that surprises us now, but isn't going to surprise us uh, if he's an established NHL defender. Uh, he's got pretty good size at six foot four, weighs 207 pounds, according to Elite Prospects. Um, the Hockey Guy, which is the YouTube channel that we follow um, on draft day when he was reacting to it, and he was as shocked as the rest of us. He said the highest he saw Cider going in mock draft was 10. So he was still projected to be in some mock drafts the top 10 pick. So it wasn't a total stretch, even though it was a stretch for Yasmin to pick him at six, but there was still a fair bit of hype with this kid. Um, you're right. The numbers at the levels that he has played aren't glaring. Like, they don't they don't jump out at you in any way, shape, or form. Um, but it's all about the potential and what he could do. Uh, at the 2020 World Juniors, um, he had six assists in seven contests. I believe some of those happened in the relegation stage, but even still, six assists in seven games is still pretty decent against um, all of the best talent that all the 10 countries have to offer in that tournament. Um, he was named top three player on his squad. Um, this year, he played in 49 games with Grand Rapids, posted 22 points. That's fourth amongst Griffin's rookies, second on the team's blue line, which adds to your point. Detroit doesn't really have a lot of options on defense, and you're kind of right about that. Um, but then I look to what scouts are saying about him, and they really like his hockey sense, but the way he can anticipate plays kind of feels like at times he's a step or two ahead of his opponents. Um, and that kind of reminds me of someone like Nicholas Lindstrom and most of the Red Wings teams that Yaisman was a part of in his prime. They were highly skilled, but they were also very smart players. Um, Sider also has solid mobility and backward speed, tough to beat in the tight gap areas, particularly the neutral zone. Uh, his team defense is good, which if this year's Red Wings have shown you defense, Team defense is something they need very, very badly, aside from goaltending. Um, they need guys who can be good penalty killers. Uh, Moritz has proven to be a good penalty killer, uh, his size being a big reason why. And he's not used to making unforced errors because he's so good at recognizing his options. He's very responsible with the puck. 
So if you're looking for a steady blue liner, Sider appears to be the defenseman of the future for them. And when you take a look at their options on uh, the right side of their defense, you might think, well, they have a lot of defensemen that can play the right side. Again, not too many of them are very good options. In the prospect pool, you have Kyle Wood and Dylan McArath, who once upon a time was projected to be a very key piece to an NHL team. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for him. Um, you look at Cody Golubev, who was 30, Alex Biega, who was 32, Trevor Daly, who was 36. They're probably not going to be long-term solutions there. Um, you have Madison Bowie and Gustav Lindstrom are there. I guess they're all right, but right. Uh, they don't have the type that the type of hype that Moritz Sider does. And then there's Philip Aronek, who you're right. Um, he's I think he's actually at 31 points in the NHL this year. Um, yeah. In Grand Rapids last year, he had a good year. He had 39 points in 2017-18. Uh, the year before that, he had 61 points in the OHL with Saginaw. So outside of Aronic, you have Mort Sider. So at worst, when he arrives in the NHL, he's going to be on the top two pairing. Yeah, and I could see that happening uh, for sure. All right, the next guy we're going to talk about um, is Joe Valino. Um, and he was another one who was uh, he was a tw- he was also in the 2018 draft. But this was uh, one of those guys that I guess he just slipped um, in the draft all of a sudden. So the, the Red Wings uh, made bank um, and in their first two picks in the 2018 draft because this guy also slipped um, and uh, the Red Wings were able to take advantage of that. Um, that was because the year before that he had like I guess he was injured, and that was part of the reason why he slipped so much, and they weren't sure um, how good he could be. Or his defensive game wasn't great at the time, I guess, was the reason. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, though, because now he, he played for Drummondville the year after he was drafted, where he had 104 points in 59 games in the QMJHL. Also, another similarity to Zadina, because Zadina played for the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, and then in the World Juniors, he had two uh, two assists in five games for Canada. Um, and then this year, he played for Grand Rapids, uh, where he also played pretty decently, too, um, where he had 23 points in 54 games. Um, and then in the World Juniors, he had six points in six games. So he's improved every year, it seems. Um, and uh, I guess the, the fact that he was picked 30th overall hasn't uh, affected him too much, it seems. Um, but yeah, he, um, I think he still has a ways to go. I, I, I kind of want to see him play a, another full season in Grand Rapids before you get too excited about him. Um, but uh, he should be a good core piece for them. Especially, like even if he was called up uh, this you know, this next season, I guess you have like Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha to learn from, but um, I, I think I would wait a, another year just to uh, see what else he can have because there's no harm in just doing that and seeing and just watching him develop in the AHL um, and all that stuff. 
Yeah, I think development is probably going to be key for uh, Joey Bolano. Um, one thing to remember about him, when he entered the league uh, in the QMJHL in 2015-16, I believe he was granted exceptional status, which back then oh, was not common. It's a bit more common nowadays, but even a couple of years ago, you didn't see it all that often. So 43 points in 62 games, 151 shots, do you think 40, that's uh, sorry? Forty-two point four faceoff percentage. At that point, he's like fifteen or sixteen years old. Right. Do you think that's why he slipped that far in the draft? Because like he didn't have expectation. Like his expectations weren't as high as people expected him to be. So he slipped. Yeah, may, maybe. Um, I also think there were there were other parts of his game that. Um, Great. They, they, they felt weren't refined enough where it warranted, you know, getting him drafted in the top 10 or top 15. Got and it. At 30, you know, a low, a low first round pick, you know, that's a risk that Detroit was willing to take because if you remember that same draft, they took Zadina six overall. Right. So given the choice, I'm sure if they had a choice between Valeno and Zadina, they'd probably take Zadina first. Right, and right, right. And Valeno was one of those options that just fell into their lap, right? No yeah, one expected yeah. that he would be their 30th overall. Yeah, no, no. I was just wondering why he slipped so far, even with the exceptional status. So, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah tr- I, 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 remember, I remember Travis Konechny was a first overall pick in the OHL, and I know we're getting off topic, and I'll yeah. get back on topic in a yeah. second. I, I kind but of did that. Yeah. He was he was a first overall OHL draft pick with the 67s, and the Sens passed on him twice in the first round, and they ended up drafting Shabbat and Colin White, who, you know, I, I probably looked like the dummy there. That was a good move by Murray and his management at the time. Uh, and then eventually in the later stages of round one, the Flyers took connecting. So, I don't know. It, it, I guess it also depends on, like, you know, what your team needs. Yeah. And if this guy can deliver that. And, you know, I think there's a bit of doubt there. But uh, nevertheless, there's there's still a bit of hype with uh, Bellino still. Um, it did take him a while to, like, fully blossom. Um, he only played 45 games in his second year he got 40 points there uh probably would have had better numbers had he played the full season uh then you get to his draft year where he got 79 points in 64 games uh shooting percentage was only 10.9 percent then but he was more of a setup guy he had 57 assists that year um you take a look at his split season between um, the St. John Sea Dogs and the Drummondville Voltageur. He had 104 points in 59 games, 247 shots. His shooting percentage, his previous high was 12.1 in his second year, jumped to 17 in this particular year, had seven shorthanded goals, six power play goals, eight game winners in his final year. Um, in particular with Drummondville, he was very, very, very good. In shooting percentage, it was at 15.2, uh, 6.2 before the trade. Uh, faceoffs are probably one thing I'm point, I point out to because he is a center that he needs to improve on. Um, his final QMJHL season was 51.4% successful in the faceoff department. His previous high was 49.6 in his second year. As a rookie, 42.4 in his third year, 46.3. So, uh, 
I don't know how good it is in the AHL because they don't display face-off statistics, uh, at least to my knowledge. So um, I think, nevertheless, whether he was good in face-offs this year or not, I think another year of AHL duty will serve him well. Definitely going to be more of a project for Detroit, but I think if they play their cards right, there are going to be a lot of there are going to be a lot of rewards when this kid is ready. Yeah, that's true. All right, so the next guy we're going to talk about is uh, Michael Rasmussen, who's another project um, like uh, like Joe Valino, but uh, it's kind of interesting too because they. Uh, drafted him seventh overall in the 2017 draft. Um, so, oh no, sorry, ninth overall in the 2017 draft. Um, and I guess they, they put him in the pros for, for a bit, but he hasn't really taken off. Like last year, he played 62 games uh, for the Red Wings and he had 18 points there. Um, he So he didn't really uh, take off as much as they were expecting him to be. Um, however, I was reading here, um, and they said that they they see him more as a shutdown center. We can also utilize his size in front of the net on the power play. So maybe that's that's kind of his role now. Would be is more of a like a third line player, or I guess a second line player too. But um, so that's <laughs> someone that they may not have drafted ninth overall but maybe if he's like a two-way guy that could be good for them um anyways the, uh, this year he he actually played pretty decently if it's just, if i'm just looking at his point totals here in the ahl he had 22 points in 35 games uh and 15 assists there so uh he could be he could be pretty good in a couple of years but it's, it's tough to really tell um obviously but he, uh, yeah, he, he, I could see him being in the league maybe next year. Uh, this would be his second year um, in Grand Rapids. Um, oh, no, that would be another year. He might take another year off <laughs> to play in Grand Rapids. Sorry. Um, yeah. Um, what, what do you have on him? Um, so I was taking a look at his numbers with uh, the WHL, and uh, I can kind of see why he was taken in the top 10. Uh, consider this. He never had a 60-point season in the WHL. And part of the reason is because the most games he played in the WHL was 63 in 2015-16, uh, the year after that, he played 50 games. The year after that, his final year, he played 47 games. So um, injuries or whatever else uh, forced him to miss time. That probably played a role in that. Um, but then I looked at his special team stats. In 2015-16, he had 18 goals, 8 on the power play, and 14 power play points. 43 points in 63 games. Decent, but again, power play threat. And uh, his size definitely has something to do with that. 2016-17, uh, where he played 50 games, he had 32 goals and 55 points, 29 power play points, and 15 power play goals. You go to his final season in the WHL, where he plays 47 games, finishes with 59 points. Another 30-goal season, he had 31 this time. He had 17 of his 31 goals with the extra man, a shooting percentage of 20.6. 
And if you want to take a look at his face-offs, he took 575 draws and won 52.3% of the draws that he took. So a pretty decent center there. And it also says on Cap Friendly he can play left wing and play right wing. So he's pretty versatile when it comes to offensive positioning there. 2018 playoffs, by far the best part of his WHL resume. Played in 14 games, right? 14 games, that's pretty decent. Oh, wow. <laughs> 33 points. <laughs> Jeez. 33 points in 14 games. 16 of those were goals. Seven power play goals. Shooting percentage of 29%. Wow. Absolutely crazy. Like, th this guy was, I think, top three, top five in playoff scoring, and he only played 14 games. His team didn't last that long. And he still played 14 games, got 33 points and 16 goals. Absolutely insane. And if you take a look at some of the successful Red Wings teams during their dynasty, there was this guy, you probably have heard of him, named Thomas Holmstrom. Yep. He made it living in front of the net, made it hell for goalies, put his rear end like near the goalie's face. He would just stand in the way. He would be a master at deflections in Game 7 of 2002. He started the game off by doing just that, battling in front of the net, gets an obscure tip on a shot, and it goes past Patrick Waugh. Red Wings go on to win that Game 7 nothing and chase Waugh from the net, go to the Stanley Cup Finals, and then beat Carolina in five games. But it all started that game with Thomas Holmstrom doing his thing, going to the net, getting in the dirty areas, and causing havoc for the other team. At six foot six, that's, I think, Rasmussen's role on this team. He is probably going to be the Thomas Holmstrom of this current group of Detroit Red Wings, which is something, to be brutally honest, I don't think they have, which yeah. I think is part of the reason why he was a top 10 pick that year. Yeah. I, 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 when you were saying, like, he did really well in the playoffs, and then I looked at his. Uh, you know, elite prospects page, and I was like, "Oh wow, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, thirty-three the points." The shooting percentage in particular, games. almost thirty percent. Yeah, okay, so no wonder he he was picked uh, in the ninth overall because they were expecting that. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's kind of the epitome of uh, small sample size there. Yeah, and and the small sample size, like as an NHL rookie, he wasn't getting top six minutes. So obviously the time on ice is pretty low, like under 15 minutes. And, you know, the stats don't really exemplify what this guy is capable of. And in 2019-20, he played in 35 AHL games and he got seven goals and 15 assists. So I, I definitely think the upside is there for Rasmussen. It's just a matter of just, again, just getting that confidence going, staying in one spot and just really focusing on his craft. And when the time comes, he's going to be a very, very pivotal part of this team. Yeah. Uh, so the last guy we're going to talk about for the Red Wings um, is actually someone who's played in the league for quite a bit. Um, and I just figured that out. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm... I, I feel like tell. that's with a lot of Red Wings players where it's like they're yeah. just there and you realized, oh, wow, he's yeah. actually played a lot of games. Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair to say. Yeah, he's played 88 games um, for the Detroit Red Wings um, in 24 points. 
uh, of course, I'm talking about Dennis Chalowski. Um, of the yeah, he he was a 2016 pick. Um, he went first first round, uh, 20th overall. Um, he also played 30 games in Grand Rapids this year, though, um, and 36 uh, games in for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, yeah, in Grand Rapids, he had 13 points in 30 games, um, but in 36 games for the Red Wings, he had eight points. Um, yeah, I think he's. I'm just looking here. I guess he could be. Um, you know, it's it's tough to really tell with this, but um, I think he could be like a fringe defenseman right now. Um, but you never really know, and I guess someone has like a high pedigree for him, for sure. So I think um, he does have potential, of course, because he's still like 21 years old, 22 years old. Um, and defensemen tend to take longer uh, to develop, but um, you know he could be a good uh, good player for them. And I don't know; it's tough to really tell just by looking at their stats um, to say how like you know how his defense is. But I, I'm reading here that he uh, is a reliable two-way top pairing defenseman that can effectively play in all situations. So. Um, he he could he I guess he is good in defense um, in the penalty kill as well so that that may not show up on the on the sheet here yeah probably because he plays in the Red Wings who yeah. as a team aren't good defensively so all the yeah, more reason why sure. this guy needs to be a part of the future because they need guys like Chalowski that are good two-way defenders um, that can play top pairing minutes obviously um, one thing I noticed about this guy, he's bunched. He's um, he's been around a couple of different leagues. Um, he first started in the BCHL with the Chilliwack Chiefs. Once upon a time, I believe Sick, Chilliwack man. had a WHL franchise that lasted for a couple of years. Uh, by the way, can I, I just want to interject? That's the sickest team name ever, Chilliwack, Chilliwack Chiefs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They should trademark him. Mm. Um, he had four goals and 23 assists for 27 points in 55 games in 2014-15 with the Chilliwack Chiefs. Um, third highest scoring defender on the roster, and he got seven assists in 12 playoff games that year. Comes back for another season with Chilliwack in 2015-16. Finishes with 40 points in 50 games, including 12 goals. His point totals... Uh, led all Chilliwack Blue Liners during the regular season, and he was on the top 10 scoring list for BCHL defensemen that season, a group that was led by Preds prospect Dante Fabro. Uh -huh. um, so there are a fair amount of good defensemen in the BCHL that year. Uh, Dennis then turned it up in the postseason once again. He finished with four goals and 11 assists for 15 points in 20 games, leading all BCHL defenders in points. His team did not win, but he had a good playoff run. Then he goes to NCAA. For one year, he played at St. Cloud State University. 36 games played, registered a single goal uh, with 11 helpers for a total of 12 points. He then goes to the WHL franchise that drafted him in 2013, the Prince George Cougars. He gets 13 goals and 39 points in 37 games with them. 13.1 uh, shooting percentage, pretty respectable. Again, 
first season playing in the WHL at that point, got 19 power play points. But Prince George wasn't on the upside, so they traded him to the usually good Portland Winterhawks, where in 32 games, he only got one goal, but he assisted on 26 others. So 27 points in 32 games, still pretty good. And he also added another 13 power play assists there. Um, if you take a look at the resume as a whole, 66 points in 69 games, 180 shots, 28 power play assists, 32 power play points, basically a top 10 defenseman in the WHL when the likes of Ty Smith, Yusto Valamaki were around. Uh, Henry Yokiharu was another, Kale Clegg, Cal Foote, uh, Kalen Addison. He was amongst the league's best that year. So for a guy only playing one season of WHL hockey, that's still pretty good. And then he added seven points in 12 playoff games during the 2018 playoffs. You mentioned in the AHL and the NHL, the numbers haven't really been there. But again, that's probably because he hasn't really spent one season in a certain place and just really focused on his craft. And I think once he does that, he's going to be better off for it. Also in the NHL, um, his average time on ice per game has kind of fluctuated from like 17 minutes to 18 minutes to 20 minutes, um, even as low as under 14 minutes. But you're he's, you're also looking at a roster that if you're not playing with the likes of Mike Green and Philip Aronik, you're playing with guys like Dylan McElrath or Alex Biega or Cody Golubev and Trevor Daly and Madison Bowie. So again, how much do you really expect yeah. playing on that blue line? So... I think when you bring Insider into that mix, um, I think Detroit is going to look a lot better defensively, especially when you consider that most of the defense that they have are right shots. Dennis is a left shot, and they don't have too many of those, so he's probably going to be on the top pairing or the secondary pairing if he's not on the top pairing. Yeah, true. Um yeah, it's interesting. Also, I guess if I had done a little bit more research, I, we probably would have talked about Jonathan Bergian or Jared McIsaac for the third, uh, the fifth and final pick for the Detroit Red Wings. But yeah, J- Jared McIsaac, a uh, shout out to him. Um, yep. He has a bright future ahead of him. I will say this as a point of emphasis Detroit's goaltending both currently and in their prospect pool, needs help. Yeah. Get one. Although I would be hesitant to take Askarov over someone like Rossi or Perfetti. That's not what I'm saying yeah. to you why. Right, high, right. But they need a young goalie badly. Yeah. Imagine them taking Askarov fourth overall. Or something. Over <laughs> Rossi and Perfetti, yeah. yeah. yeah I, nice. I love TBY. I love what he's doing, but that would yeah. be the biggest risk he's ever taken. I'm sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I think Philip Larson hasn't been terrible, but yeah, I think he's probably their best option right now. Yeah, I think they also have like uh, Keith Petruselli, who was good in college but hasn't shown up after college. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's another one. And they do have Caden Fulcher signed, but yeah. his numbers aren't great this year. Right, so. so yeah, everyone. Yeah. Everyone in Detroit hasn't been great. It, so. it needs work. Yeah. 
it All right. a bit of yeah. So now we go to another team, Edmonton Oilers here. Um, yeah, so the, uh, <laughs> they have this guy named Connor McDavid. I don't know if you've yep. heard of him. Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, he has a 12.5 cap um, or annual average value. So that means that they have to rely a lot on prospects uh, because they're going to be on entry-level contracts. Also, Leon Dreisaitl are also is making 8.5 a year as well. I mean, obviously, these are the, the two best players in the league, so they're worth every cent of that contract. But um, obviously, you have to um, you have to do some cap crunches for every other player. Mm-hmm. Um, it would yeah. it would be even better if they didn't have a cap, but it doesn't yeah. work like that. If, well, of course. Well, it used to, but yeah, not. Well, anymore. yeah, not anymore. That was not the whole anymore. reason why there was a lockout. So, <laughs> um, yeah. anyways, uh, the uh, they're. But it's interesting because now their free agent list um, hasn't isn't that bad uh, this year. They have a couple of players that are going to be off um, that they don't have to pay anymore. Um, so they have uh, let's see here: Gaten Haas, Riley Sheehan, uh, Tyler Ennis, and Patrick Russell, who I I don't even know. Um, Mike Green's also a UFA, and then lastly, I'm sure they're probably going to pay Mike Smith something, but he's also a UFA. Um, so I could uh, see that. As for RFAs, you have uh, um, Andreas Athanasiu, who they just got from Detroit. Also, uh, Matthew Benning and Ethan Bear are RFAs, um, but they still like you know. They, they don't have a ton of cap space, even still. And they're, like, retaining a lot of, like, Milan Lucic's contract. So um, so they have that. But let's see here. According to Edmonton, uh, the cap friendly, they have $13 million in cap space next year. So uh, they, there's still not a lot to work with, and they have to fill in with a lot of guys. But the good news is uh, they have a pretty good prospect pool now. So much so that I was having trouble trying to get five when there was about like seven good prospects that I wanted to be wanting yeah, to talk not, about. Yeah, not gonna lie, this is probably the toughest prospect list to assemble because they had a lot of options. Well, it's gonna be tougher. I think like both New York teams have a pretty good prospect pool. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Sends, I'm looking forward to the Sens too. Sens, yeah, of course you are. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Flyers as well, so. Um, there, there are going to be a couple of other teams that have pretty good uh, prospect pools. But, yeah, this is one in particular, uh, especially because we have uh, one in Kyler Yamamoto. I think that's how you pronounce his first name. Um, and, and surprisingly enough, he's an American. So go for, go for him. Yay. Anyways, um, he... I, re- I remember because this was the first year in 2017 when he was drafted. This was the first year where I had joined this like keeper league where you draft prospects every year. Um, and I re- so this was like the first 2017 was the first year where I really took it seriously and started looking at all these drafted players um, and stuff like that. And I was looking here and I, saw, I noticed that for like the Spokane Chiefs, 
uh, that year. He had 99 points in 65 games. And I remember seeing like he led the league in uh, in the WHL in points that year. And I was just going crazy. It's like, how is he not like in the top 10 at least? Like I can understand he's not as good as like Nico Heischer was or even Nolan Patrick. Or obviously that wasn't anything. Or even like, you know, I, I was high on Kale McCarr too, but like... I was like, how is he not a top 10 player? Um, and like, I was looking at his like combine stuff, combine stuff, and he was doing really well. And then I noticed that he's 5'8". <laughs> so that's like a big reason why he was even uh, 20, picked 22nd overall. It's just purely because of his size. Um, and he's 159 pounds. But, uh, yeah, I still believed in him because it's, like, if you're good at, like, you know, if you're skilled um, and you're good with the puck, you can be, um, like, it doesn't really matter how tall you are. Um, you're good. Basically, like, the Patrick Kane effect or the Martin St. Louis, I should say, is a better example. But uh, So um, so that's, like... Uh, that would that would just like spoke to me, and then he gets drafted by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, this turned out to be Peter Chiarelli's last draft pick or last first round draft pick, I should say. Um, and that, um, uh, but he uh, so he goes to the. But I was really high on this kid, basically, just because I was noticing <clears throat> how good he had been for the Spokane Chiefs. Um, then, uh, so then he gets drafted, uh, he plays for the Spokane Chiefs again, he has 64 points in 40 games, which isn't bad, um, and then he played his first nine games in Edmonton, where he had three points. What was interesting with, with him that year was that he had, um, he was like, he had 15 minutes of ice time. Um, and I had 23 shots on goal. I remember there was like one game that he had like 10 shots on goal or something like that, but he didn't have a ton of opportunity. Um, then, oh, and he also played for the World Juniors that year. Uh, he had four points in seven games. Uh, then the next year, he only, he goes to Edmonton, uh, first 17 games. He has two points in 17 games. Um, and also keep in mind, he had 13 minutes of ice time. So for some reason, Edmonton, like, just didn't give him a ton of time. So they moved him to uh, Bakersfield, where he actually played pretty well. He had 18 points in 27 games. Um, but I think people were less high on him because, like, they were like, oh, this is how they're going to treat Yamamoto. They're just going to give him less ice time and stuff. Um, and then this year, uh, he first, he go, he plays in Bakersfield again. Uh, to start the season where he has, you know, he repeats it. Um, he has 16 points in 23 games. <clears throat> then he goes to Edmonton, and then he's on a line with Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who we know are pretty good players. Um, and they give him the opportunity, finally, and he proves it, basically. And so in 27 games, he has 26 points, um, 11 goals and 15 assists. Um, so, so this is exactly who the Edmonton Oilers need because that, that had been the rhetoric since he had been drafted was that Edmonton has Connor McDavid and no one else. 
where I mean, obviously, you now you have Drysaddle, who's a superstar in his own right. Um, you have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's a good role player for them too, and he's you know he could be like a 60, 65 point player. And then you add this guy who has a skill like Kyler Yamamoto. Like, sure, he's short and all that stuff, but he played really well with uh, Drysaddle and uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And they can like grow together, and you and all of a sudden you have this one-two punch of Connor McDavid on one end, and then you have to deal with these three, <laughs> on, like for a third of the game. Um, so that's that's kind of a scary option for for the Oilers there, um, especially that. I mean, I of course you can say that he's like him being short is always going to be a factor, um, but you know when you look at a lot of players in the league, like Martin St. Louis, Johnny Goudreau, Patrick Kane, who I mentioned, even like Brad Marchand, like you can be short and really, really good in the league. You just have to be fast and have to stick handle really well, um, of course. But um, he he was pretty good. It was funny though. I remember watching a Bruins Oilers game this year, and I was seeing like Chara stacked up with against Yamamoto, and it was like there were different creatures basically but um but yeah i i think this uh this guy can uh can be pretty good for them especially if he is remains with dry sidle um, and ryan newton hawkins because they had good chemistry um to see so it was nice to see yeah definitely size is not to Kaler's advantage against big competition but it's how he uses his size that has made him so good yeah. Uh, if you take a look at his rookie numbers in the WHL, he had 57 points in 68 games, 10 power play goals was the key stat there. Also had six game winners, so a bit of the clutch gene there. Uh, year two, 71 points, only 19 goals, but he got 52 assists in 57 games. Um, another seven power play goals. 2016-17, uh, plays 65 games. Uh, another season with 10 power play goals also added 25 power play assists so he had 35 power play points in his third year um at that season spokane did not make the playoffs but he still got 40 plus goals he was one point shy of 100 he was a top 10 scorer at whl and for the second straight year he led spokane in scoring so he really established himself in year three. Then you take a look at year four, where he only plays 40 games, gets 21 goals and 64 points. 18.9 um, shooting percentage, only had 111 shots in the 40 games he played. Um, even though he spends most of his time on the wing, he, he took 207 face-offs that year and won 48.7% of the time. So he can, he can be a decent option down the middle, I suppose, as well. Um, so I definitely liked what he brought and you're right the world juniors especially um we we saw a bit of uh, what yamamoto uh, was a cap was capable of um and this this is the type of guy that everywhere on the ice in every situation he's a threat not just on the power play he can deliver anywhere um and unfortunately in that season where he almost got 100 points if you solved him you solved the entire offense because their entire offense was wasn't that great um they were able to bounce back 
thanks to Jared Aaron Anderson Dolan. The next year, he had 40 goals and 51 assists, 30 power play points. Um, so while Yamamoto only played 40 games, they had some other uh, for sources of offense. Ty Smith was a force on their blue line with 73 points, uh, and they had some other names too. Um, they didn't really last long in the playoffs for Kaler to make an impact. So in terms of like career postseason stats in WHL, never made it out of the first round. Um, Spokane was done in six games in 2015. In six games, again, they were done in 2016. 2017, as mentioned, they didn't even make it. 2018, they were ousted in seven games. But in those seven games in 2018, Yamamoto got 26 shots on goal. So he was racking up the shot totals there, and uh, he ended up finishing his WHL career with 14 postseason points. So pretty decent considering he only played in uh, 19 games total. Uh, Take a look at his AHL stats, Brett, as you mentioned. Ridiculous shooting percentage. In 2018-19, it was 22.2. It was 18.6 this year. Uh, 34 points, 18 goals, and 50 career AHL games. And of the 18 goals he scored, 10 came on the power play. So imagine scoring one power play goal every five games. That's a pretty good ratio. Um, You mentioned it took a bit of time for him to really develop in the NHL. Five points in his first 26 games. He had two points in 17 games in 2018-19. But then McDavid gets hurt. He gets put on Dreisaitl's line with Nugent Hopkins, and the rest is history. He did that while not even on the power play every game. His ice time is up to 17.23. His shooting percentage was 25, and he had 26 points, 11 goals in 27 games with just 44 shots this year. So that's where... I kind of question, okay, well, what is Kaylor Yamamoto? Because in a normal season, he would probably have averaged 40 to 50 points, which is still pretty good. But you're looking at a shooting percentage of 25 right now (laughs) and a point per game player. In a full season, he would have 79 points if he played a full 82 games this year. Is he going to be that kind of dominant or is he going to be – a decent top six contributor, but not at that kind of level. So there's still a lot to debate and discuss with Kaler in that regard. But he is very shifty with the size in tight areas. He's very tough to beat. And I definitely think that's going to help Edmonton when you consider that both on left wing and right wing, they don't look an impressive shape for the long term. Yeah. So I definitely think the odds of him maintaining a spot in the top six are very, very high moving yeah. forward. Yeah, especially if you have, like, McDavid and Drysaddle as centers, you're, you're, <laughs> odds are you're always going to have yeah, an elite spent, center. Yeah. yeah, So, But, yeah, you're right. That is a big issue for the Oilers and has been for quite some time is just the wingers situation. Like, yeah, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been good, um, but that's been pretty much it. And I guess James Neal had that four-goal game and then he fell off. Uh, but everyone else is just, um, yeah, it's like, who? Um, Alex Chiesan yeah, is like, most notably. On, Zach Cass. I mean, yeah, I guess like Zach Cassian right, has been pretty good too, but yeah. Yeah, like on the right 
side, it's Archibald, Cassian, and Chieson. On the left side, it's Ennis, Athanasiu, and Neil. Yeah. Short term, yeah, okay. But long term, no. Right, right. And that's interesting that you were saying in short term, no. But, I mean, there's also Jesse Pugliarvi, who we're going to talk about pretty soon anyways. <laughs> yeah, but, who knows what happens And there. who knows about that. But, yeah, it is interesting because the next, the last two years who are the prospects we're about to talk about, they uh, they drafted uh, defensemen as their top pick. So that's pretty interesting, too. And they already have, like, Clefbaum and Nurse, who have been pretty good for the last couple of years, too. So um, yeah. it's kind and, of interesting. Yeah, and up-and-coming, up and coming, Brett, yeah. they have Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear. That, too, yeah. That's another one. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, anyways, we can talk about that after we talk about all these prospects here. Evan Bouchard um, is the, the next prospect we're going to talk about. Uh, he was drafted in 2018, 10th overall. Um, this was, yeah, so he had, uh, so last year he played for, uh, or two years ago, sorry. Um, he played for the London Knights and he had 53 points in 45 games. Uh, the year before that, I remember seeing that he had 25 goals for the London Knights um, and 87 yep. points in 67 games. So that's really good for a defenseman because uh, usually defensemen usually get around like like top tier defensemen usually get around 18 goals or 20 goals or something like that. But to get 25 goals, even in like the OHL, that's that's pretty good. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so he had 53 points in 45 games. Um, and then he played for Edmonton for a bit last year, the year before that. Um, and in seven games, he had one goal. Um, and then he played it for the playoffs for the Bakersfield Condors, who is their AHL team, where he had eight points in eight games for them. Um, he also played for the World Juniors that year, too, uh, and he had three points in five games. Uh, three of those were assists. Um, so this year he played purely um, in Bakersfield where he had 36 points in 54 games. Um, yeah, and I think they're kind of like grooming him to be the number one defenseman um, that they've always wanted and needed there. Um, and it's kind of interesting too because Oscar Clefbaum has kind of finally been that player for them um that defenseman for them and you know darnell nurse isn't that bad either but the thing is is that both clefbaum and nurse are both left-handed defensemen which i'm just seeing now uh in terms of right-handed defensemen i guess the only competition he has is like adam larson i guess and yeah. uh chris russell so they don't have a ton of right shot defensemen so I, th I could see Evan Bouchard actually, you know, taking time away from Clefbaum and Nurse, but they, they're pretty good, uh, you know, they're pretty much set with defensemen if, uh, if Bouchard can actually transition what he did in the AHL into the NHL. Yeah, it's six foot three is a pretty good size uh, as well. And again, you play for the Paros London Knights, you have a good chance to flex your muscles more often than not if you have the skills to do yeah. so. And it took him a bit for him to do that. Um, he was a part of the 2015-16 team that 
won the OHL title and won the Memorial Cup. However, he didn't play in the Memorial Cup, and he was mostly a spectator on that team that had guys like Matt Kachuk, Christian Dvorak, and 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 those guys. Um, so that 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 season was kind of a learning curve. He was he was along for the ride. Um, got a decent amount of action in the regular season that year. Forty three games played, seventeen points, nine power play points. Again, pretty respectable but didn't really find his groove until the season after in 2016-17. That year, he had 11 goals and 33 assists for 44 points in 68 games, 135 shots on goal, 13 power play points, pretty respectable there. But in those days, you had Victor Mete on the blue line. You had Ole Ulevi on the blue line. Remember him, Canucks fans? And uh, you you also... Um, they also brought in Mitch Van de Sample in one of those years to help with um, with their blue line, with their offensive uh, capabilities. So Bouchard didn't really get a chance to strut his stuff, if you will, until 2017-18. And boy, when he got the chance, did he ever strut his stuff. You mentioned the 25 goals and the 87 points and the 62 assists. 297 shots for a defenseman is ridiculous nearing 300 and then getting 10 power play goals and 33 power play points on top of that absolutely elite stats from bouchard that year and the only reason he didn't lead the league in goal scoring was because nick Hague had 35 that year so um would have easily led the league in goals if not for uh, the vegas golden knights prospect uh, that brings us to the final year where in 45 games he had 16 goals and 37 assists for 53 points. Again, surpassed 200 shots, and he finished with 25 power play points. Uh, in terms of playoffs, he had some decent numbers leading up to 2019, but 2019, this past year's playoffs, was where he shined his brightest. Only played 11 games. His team was ousted in round two. But in those 11 games played, he had 17 assists and 21 points, a shooting percentage of 11.1, and he led all defensemen in power play assists with 12. And he only played in 11 games, that playoff run. So pretty good. Uh, You mentioned his solid playoffs with Bakersfield where he got eight points in eight games. His shooting percentage was also 17.6%. He scored three times on 17 shots there. Uh, That brings us to this year's regular season where he got 36 points in 54 games with Bakersfield. Shooting percentage down to five, so not nearly as dominant, but he still got four of his seven goals on the power play. If he plays the full season, we're talking around 45 to 50 points for Bouchard in his rookie year. We're talking about a top 10 score in the league amongst defensemen and even a top 10 finish in shots on goal as well. So when you consider the rap sheet and you consider that he can also play a bit of the two-way game as well, you think Edmonton's power play is already deadly. Wait till this guy gets here. Yeah, it, it should uh, it should be interesting to see. It's, it's, it's kind of cool that they like the Oilers have to like rely on their prospects um, now because of the, like, the two big contracts from McDavid and Drysaddle, but, like, they've, they've kind of hit on every first-round pick so far, um, 
so except for pool URV, which we'll talk about, but um, but like I guess that's the benefit of being bad every year um, is that you, you get the chance to draft McDavid, Drysital, uh, Bouchard, Yamamoto, um, and now uh, we're talking about Philip Broberg, who's another guy. Um, even RNH, um, although I guess you kind of miss out on you you bust on uh, Yakupov, um, so that that did not turn out well. Um, anyways, we're talking about Philip Broberg here, um, and uh, so yeah, he was drafted uh, last year eighth overall, um, and they're kind of taking their time with him. Uh, last year he, or his drafted year, he had. He had like nine points in 41 games for the Swedish league, Al Svenskens, who I guess isn't the, I guess that's the, he also had eight points in eight games for Super Elite, but that's like the lower tier of this, the Swedish league. I'm not sure exactly which tier is better, but anyways, he goes to the SHL this year on loan and he has, so this is like a pro professional league here. Um, and he has eight points in 45 games. Now, keep in mind, he's playing, like, against a bunch of, uh, like, older players. And he's yeah. 18 years old. So, uh, it's always weird to skew it. And you don't know how he's going to play in the AHL or even the NHL um, with those numbers. But, um, I mean, I guess those are pretty good, I guess. Um, a good t- Another good tell is to see how he does in the World Juniors, where he had one goal in seven games for Sweden. Um, And I guess I see here that he's playing um, in the SHL again next year already uh, for Skleltia. I don't even know why I tried to even say that. Um, But all the reports or the scouting reports are saying is that, um, you know, he still needs some breaking in, but... I think once he is ready, he can uh, he'll be able to transition. But he's kind of like a work in progress, and we may not see him in the league for a while. But uh, but yeah, it's something that the Oilers should have done for for pool party um, that they didn't do for Bro uh, that they've done for Broberg. It's just let him sit in the league for for a bit and see how he does, and then. Uh, put him out especially now that the the Oilers are actually pretty good so um they can afford to wait on on Broberg and this may be like the first time in a while that the the Oilers don't need to put uh put up their draft picks up in the league right away so that's kind of like a nice little change for for the Oilers yeah, and positionally, it's uh, it, it helps that they have Clefbaum, Nurse, and Caleb Jones, yep. who are left-handed shots like Broberg, so that buys him more time to that's develop. And true. that's going to be key because once he is ready to turn pro, he's going to need a couple of years of AHL action before you'd probably test him out in the NHL. So he's like a good three to four years yep. away from like seeing significant and NHL. Like, and that's when before. Nurse and Clefbaum will want more money and they won't be able yeah. to afford them. So because of McDavid and Tricycle. So Yeah. Yeah. De- depending on how things go, it could be yeah. sooner for a nurse, but we'll see. Depends on after two years how much money you want. So they're already paying him over five million. Yeah, yeah. Um the word on Broberg is 
the kid can fly. Like, he can turn the puck over and he can just catch up to you with his speed and strip the puck away. Like, the part of the reason why he's a gifted two-way defenseman is because his speed is so good. Craig Button uh, and a lot of other scouts couldn't stop talking about just how exceptional this guy is at commanding the game. Um, just his fluid skating ability, just the pure speed that he plays with. And complement that with his ability to read the play early and the sky's the limit. It's just a matter of getting him into those prime situations where he can like really develop his craft. Uh, like you said, Brett, he's going to be in Europe for another year. So the earliest he turns pro is April, May, June of twins, somewhere along those lines. Um, in uh, the super elite league in 2017-18 with the junior 20 club, he had six goals and 13 points in 23 games. Just a little bit of offensively what he's capable of. Um, the transition to the Swedish Hockey League has been a bit slow, but I'm confident that um, the numbers will follow at some point. And um, it'll be interesting to see um, how he develops. Like Bouchard, he's a, he's a pretty big option. Bouchard, I believe, is six foot three, um, according to the prospects they have Robert also listed at six foot three 203 pounds as well and just 18 years old as well he'll be turning 19 on June 25th so there's definitely a lot of room to grow for this kid and I'm interested in um, how he fits into the Oilers uh, in a couple of years and you're, you're right about the Oilers' ability to develop prospects is better than it was a couple of years ago because that's the whole knock, you know. Like, even with Neil Yakupov, as you said, you could get, like, a first overall pick, but unless, like, he was elite talent, you had to develop them. And development was part of the reason why the Oilers didn't have anybody besides McDavid. Yeah. And you look at all of the talented prospects they have now, the reason they do is because they've been better at developing people. Yeah, for sure. Um, so speaking of which, I mean, it's, it's also another thing too, that's, uh, that we haven't really talked about now. And we will now with this next guy, because, uh, the Oilers, you know, they, they always, you know, you, you can't really miss out on McDavid or Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Drysdale because those guys have been highly touted, but like what really makes teams successful is what they is like finding those draft picks later on um, in the draft, even if it's in the second round. Um, and that's when you really uh, can build on to a successful team. And so this next guy was, I, I was kind of shocked that he even left the first round um, and the Edmonton Oilers grabbed him at the 30, 38th overall pick um, in the 2019 draft. That's in the second round. So he was an eighth overall uh, I guess he would be eighth overall. I don't know what eighth overall in the second round, uh, not overall overall. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, um, he was a high second round draft pick. Yeah, he was a high second round draft pick. Uh, but even still, he's not in the first round. Um, but mm -hmm. they kind of got a steal out of him now. It looks like uh, we have Raphael Lavoie. Um, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, yeah. And uh, so I see here that he got traded from Halifax to Chicoutimi. 
Um, you guys have some. You you Canadians have some cool team like town names. Chikudami, it's a fun name. Good luck trying to pronounce their Halifax. team name. I can't. Yeah, I'm not even trying that. Uh, okay, I guess I'll try it. Sagunines. <laughs> Yeah, that's Sagunins. the closest I could come up with. It's probably wrong too. <laughs> when even a Canadian can't pronounce it, that's when you know. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> also it was also not cheap. Like I believe, I can't remember. It was I think it was Moncton and Shakutami, who I think, or like just a couple of players. It was Lavoie, and I think. It Wait, was, how is uh, it? How is it Moncton? Because he was on a Halifax. No, I'm, I'm just saying there were like two teams in particular that spent a combined 31 draft picks. Oh, wow. To like really go all in. I see. And then the COVID-19 pandemic basically canceled the season and oh. they wasted 31 draft picks on like 20 games of a guy that may not even play for them next year. Wow, wow. Yeah, so okay. they, they paid a hefty sum to get LeBlanc too. Anyways, if you... If you uh, if you combine the stats from Halifax and Chikutami this year, he had 82 points in 55 games um, this year, which is pretty good. And then last year, he also was pretty good, too. He had 73 points in 62 games. Um, and then in the playoffs that year, he had 32 points in 23 games. Um, he also played in uh, the World Juniors this year. Uh, where he had two assists in seven games for Canada as well. Um, yeah, and he's another right winger, too, that, uh, you know, uh, I, like we talked about with Kyler Yamamoto, it's not like the Oilers uh, have a ton of wingers that are good right now, um, except for Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto. So um, they'll need a bunch of young players, too. So... This is probably like the best guy for like, or the leading candidate to be McDavid's right-hand man, so to speak, um, in, a, in the next couple of years, if, if they decide to keep the Yams, RNH, and Tricidal line together, and you can just have Lavoie with McDavid and maybe Cassian as a left winger there. So he could theoretically fill their, their top six line if he is as good as they say he is the thing that's what i don't get and maybe you have some more uh insight on this steve but like usually like you can understand why guys drop um to a certain round because they have you know either they're small or like some they have some personality issues or something like that but like this guy is 64 64 and 198 pounds, so he's he's still he's pretty tall. So it's not like uh, you can uh, say anything about that. I also was reading some scouting reports that like he plays, uh, he like he's good on offense. And I would imagine the big reason why he slipped so far down was because of his defensive play. But I'm also seeing that he can like he has great strength and he can protect the puck. So he's also like good at defense too I think so I don't know I think they the Oilers may have gotten away with one um, I would rather have him than uh, than a Johnny Beecher um, so 
Yeah. Imagine, imagine if John Beecher one day scores the cup-winning goal for the Bruins. I mean, I, 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 I would be happy to be proven wrong. But yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I wanted no, Lavoie. I, I wanted and Kaliev, but um, I yeah, still well, do. <laughs> funny thing you should mention Kaliev because we probably talk on him next we week because he's going to be in that group. But, no, we, we will uh, definitely talk about Kaliev. I can already tell you that. <laughs> but Kaliev in that draft year was another guy that fell and yeah. the knock on him was that you know yeah racking up 9 to 100 points 40 to 50 goals no problem defense needs work right and, and defense isn't something they really talk about in his prospect uh, strengths so i can only assume it might have had something to do with that but um he's a he's a guy with a very large frame very skilled he's got an accurate release um, which explains why he's been a capable goal scorer in the uh, QMJHL. He also reads the game well. He distributes the puck. He protects the puck, which is all good things offensively. Um, and he's also being hyped as a guy that can score from anywhere in the offensive zone, which, hey, you know, the Oilers would gladly take. Any team would, but especially the Oilers. Um if you take a look at his numbers um, since his second season with Halifax, he had 68 games played in 2017-18. He had 30 goals and 63 points, took 222 shots, um, and then he got another 206 the following season, recorded another 32 goals and 73 points in 62 games. So a guy that consistently recorded 30-plus goals and 200-plus shots on goal in those two seasons would chip in with like 50 to 20 power play points. So again, he was a very consistent producer for them. He took it to another level this past year. He had... 191 shots on goal, Brad. Wow. In 30 games with the Mooseheads. 191 shots in 30 games with Halifax. Doing the math with my calculator, that is an average of 6.36 shots per game. And he scored 18 times in those 30 games. So while the shooting percentage wasn't great, he scored and shot the puck a lot on a Halifax team that was regressing. So then he goes to Shakutami where he gets 119 shots and finishes his tenure there with 20 goals and 38 points in those 25 games. Shooting percentage goes up to 16.8. Right there, 119 shots. That's divided by 25. So with Shakutami, he averaged 4.76 shots per game. On the season total, in just 55 games, he had 310 shots and 38 goals. So that is an average of 5.63 shots per game. Wow. That reminds me of James Neal in his NHL prime, where he would chip in 30 to 40 goals and well over 300 shots in a season. So the Edmonton Oilers might have found a replacement for what James Neal does. And if and if you doubt me, 2019 playoffs, 23 games played, Lavoie scores 20 times on 108 shots for an 18.5 shooting percentage. This guy is someone that can shoot and score at will. He can score from anywhere. 
and he will definitely get top six minutes. I would like to see him play a year or two in the AHL before that happens, but I have a feeling he is going to be very, very lethal when uh, he's developed and ready to go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the next guy we're going to talk about uh, is Jesse Pugliarvi. Um, and this is going to fall under the Casey Middlestad rule because he has <laughs> technically played uh, uh, more than 100 games in the NHL already. But since he's such a unique case that we figure he's still, he counts as a prospect and he could be, if, he, if it all ends right, then he could be a big part of the Oilers' future. Um, yeah, he, he, he falls under the it's complicated rule because we don't even know if he wants to play for them anymore. Right, right, right. right. So, so far, uh, yeah, which which brings me to this next point because I was trying to find him on the Cap Friendly page in the Oilers, but he's not even on there because he's, nope. he's unsigned, but he still counts. Uh, like, I guess he can, he's still uh, Edmonton Oilers. He still has rights to the Oilers because they just yep. haven't decided if they can trade him not, but they haven't they haven't even signed him yet. So because he's until still until he's a free agent, until yeah. he's a free agent, if he wants to come back to the a uh, the NHL, he is Oilers property unless they do something with him. Right, and so so anyways, so this year he just went to La Liga, uh, which is yep. the Finnish league. Uh, and that was the league that he played, or the, that was the same team that he played with uh, his drafted year. I think I remember hearing that he was on the line with like Aho, and I think uh, Patrick Line was also on that team too. So um, <laughs> that was kind of oh no no never mind Aho. I believe that was at uh, the World Juniors you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I talking about something? Okay. But uh, Sebastian Ajo yeah. and Puliarvi were on the same team that year. Oh, okay. They were. Okay. But not Patrick Line. I, I missed it up. But they were in the okay. same league. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> I guess Sebastian Ajo had the most points then, had more points than Puliarvi his last year, anyways. Um, but. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, he gets selected fourth overall, and this was kind of a big thing because uh, what happened was Austin Matthews goes first, Patrick Laine goes second, which was as expected uh, for those two. But then third overall, the Blue Jackets pick uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, to be fair, Dubois ha had like a good year that year too, but uh, Pouliarvi had been hyped up uh even more so than Dubois had been. So we all he was, thought... He was top player at the World Juniors, yeah, if I remember correctly. For sure. And so we all thought that... I'm going to call him Pool Party, because that's funner to say than <laughs> Pool URV. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was kind of like a... I mean, this has kind of been a trend since we've talked about Detroit, but we thought this was going to be like a... We thought this was going to be like a steal for the Oilers, because it's like, wait, you're telling me that like they get like someone who was supposed to be third overall and they get like and who is this Pierre-Luc Dubois guy so like it could end up being like a Zadina situation um or I should mention that Zadina could end up being like Pugliarvi but we'll see um anyways uh uh Jesse Pugliarvi goes um and then uh yeah so then he plays uh for the Oilers uh 
And uh, the first 28 games in the NHL, he has eight points, uh, which isn't great, uh, but he goes to the Bakersfield Condors and he he actually plays pretty well. Um, And then, uh, hold on, I was just looking at his time on ice because I'm curious about that. I always get curious about like why high drafted players don't do well if they're on like their time on ice. Oh yeah, so his rookie year, he had 11 minutes of ice time on average um, in those 28 games. Uh, Then the next year, he had 13 minutes of ice time um, and he did pretty well. He had 20 points in 65 games. I believe he also went to Baker's, uh, oh no, so I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, His rookie year, again, he went to Bakersfield where he did a bit better and he had 28 points in 39 games. Um, And then he goes to, and then the next year you're like, okay, so he did well in the AHL. Let's see how he does in Edmonton uh, with that. But he has 20 points in 65 games. But get this, he has 13 minutes of ice time even then in those 65 games. So you get it like, like, yeah, he played 65 games for them, but he also, like, didn't, you know, like, he also was playing on the third line, and that's not how you develop a player. Uh, he goes back to Bakersfield for 10, 10 games, and he has five five points. Um, so, like, a half a point per game there. I'm sure he's fr- getting frustrated. Um, and then in 2018, so that's the year before that he goes to uh bakersfield and plays four he gets four points in four games then he goes to the nhl and has nine points in 46 games but his time on my uh, on ice had dropped a bit uh even if it could drop that much um and he has 11 minutes of ice time and that's nine points in 46 games i also remember if you remember this but he had like two hip surgeries or something like that um and so he had to get surgery too so i think that that was another reason why um his point total had kind of dropped um obviously the oilers were also pretty bad at that same point but uh so then anyways he becomes a restricted free agent and he uh doesn't like the oilers that much because i guess they're not uh deploying him well enough um, and he's not on Connor McDavid's line. He's not even on Drysaddle's line um, anymore. So he uh, so he just goes to Finland um, to play in La Liga, his other team, uh, while the Oilers figure stuff out. Um, and he actually plays pretty well. Uh, he has 53 points in 56 games for Carpot, uh, which I believe that that's their name um, there, and. Uh, he also plays some tourneys for Finland. It says here on Elite Prospects that he had five points in six games in international tournaments this year, too. So, yeah, he it looks like he's been... He played pretty well in, Finland, in, this, in the Finnish league um, as well. So, um, I'll be curious to see how he, um, how he does. I would imagine... Like, I remember there was times where there were some rumblings that maybe Puliarvi was going to be traded before the trade deadline because the Oilers were planning on some run um, and they could get some value to um, and lose, like gain some players that they may have lost but um, it turns out they didn't do that 
Um, but um, yeah, I, 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 I still believe in Pugliarvi purely because he is 21 years old and it's clearly he is very talented. Um, and I think if you look at, like, I just want, I don't know if it's going to be the Oilers, but I think it's going to be some team that's going to take a chance on him and give him some ice time. Um, kind of like a Robbie Fabry type situation or something, or Dylan Strome, where they just, he needs a new place, um, just a new setting. Even if the Oilers are doing well and could use him, I think uh, it just makes sense to just trade him to some other team. Um, and see how he does because it, it's just not working for Edmonton um, with him. I just think he needs a new place to get accustomed to and um, a place that he can flourish. Um, so, yeah. And the also important thing to know is that Pugliari's value six months ago isn't nearly as high as it was as it is now. Right. Like, back then, like, I don't think, like, the market is, is what... Uh, but what Holland was asking for is what Pooley RV. I don't think Pooley RV was anywhere near what he was asking, like a second at a prospect or like two yeah, seconds. Like that, yeah. Not even close to that value. Now, a bit more so because yep. of his great season in Finland, which, you know, if, if Pooley RV needs a change of scenery, now might be a good time um, for, for him to get that. But it all depends on what Holland is willing to get. Uh, and what other teams are willing to offer in order to get Pugliarvi. Um, and it's interesting because in his prospect profile, um, it says he puts forth a great work ethic and a positive attitude. So somewhere along the lines, he stopped being happy. And I, th- I think, Brett, that also adds to your point about maybe getting like a change of scenery and that's probably what's best for him. I definitely think at some point down the line he will have an NHL future and he will succeed. Uh, and he has that frame, but the problem is, and I'll get to it in a bit, you have a lot of other talented players in that prospect pool waiting to take your spot. Yeah. And, and I argue that some are already on the verge of doing that. Um, but we'll get to that after we talk about uh, Jesse for a bit. Um, you mentioned his draft year was pretty good. He had 13 goals and 15 assists in 50 games. So 28 points, that's pretty good. Uh, again, that was in the Liga where the competition isn't just teenagers, it's grown men as well. Um, he was chosen fourth overall by the Oilers after posting 17 points in seven games of the world juniors he was the top forward the tournament mvp and i believe team finland won gold that year just an absolute all-star showing there then he turns pro in north america his AHL resume over three years 37 points in 53 games that's not bad only a 9.6 shooting percentage so you could tell it could probably be better and in his first full year of AHL duty he had five of his goals on the power play so there there clearly was something to but that first full year of AHL duty he played 39 games after that in the two seasons combined the two seasons following he played a combined 14 games and he got nine points so whenever he did go to the AHL only for like a cup of coffee okay your confidence looks good enough get back over here come back to Edmonton so again it all comes back to having players just sit in the AHL or wherever for a full year and just let them to develop properly. 
um, and have them get the chance to become the guy, a top three player, a top three scorer, which he wasn't in Edmonton because he wasn't getting the minutes. He was getting bottom six minutes. And he was getting those minutes in the AHL, but he wasn't getting them often enough. So I think just for the sake of his confidence, he needed to go back to Finland. And he was a top five scorer in the league. And the first, uh, I believe it's the top scorer, if not the second top scorer on his team uh, this past year. Uh, so it, clearly his decision to really worked because I think, again, confidence is so key for players like Jesse. Um, you could have all the skills, all the tools in the world to be the best NHL player in the world. But if the confidence isn't there, you're never going to be as good as you'll want to be. And I think for Pugliarvi in right now, getting back to the NHL, he needed to be a confident player. So I think for both sides, it was best for Pugliarvi to make this decision. I honestly wouldn't be opposed to having Pugliarvi just stay in Finland for another year to continue to bolster his confidence so that you're not rushing him back too soon because you already have a fair amount of talent in the AHL pool already. And unfortunately, that is where it becomes a disadvantage for Jesse Pugliarvi because, yeah, he has the confidence, but he's got some serious competition on his tail. You look at Tyler Benson, who played a full AHL season last year, after a decent showing with the WHL's Vancouver Giants over three to four years, he he battled injuries and whatever else, and he, he had a decent resume there. His first HL season, right? He got 66 points in 68 games, and he had 36 points in 47 games this past year, all because they put him in one sitting. They just said, go to work. He did, and... He's reaping the rewards of it. He is a winger. He plays left wing. You look at someone like Cooper Marodi, last year in 58 games, he had 64 points. Edmonton has depth already down the middle, so he could always move to the wing if they brought him up. Obviously, you have Kaylor Yamamoto emerging as a potential top six talent. He's a right winger, just like Jesse. And Kaylor doesn't have the size that Jesse does, but guess who does? Raphael Lavoie, who we just talked about. So you've got like four or five players right there that are competing for a spot on the roster that Jesse could occupy. So the task for Jesse is to come to the NHL and prove that what I did in Finland, I can also do here. But on top of that, you need to have confidence, but you also have to beat out like four or five guys just to get an opportunity to prove that you can still play with the Oilers and deserve a second chance. And that's where I think ultimately that's what's going to land him on another team because of the competition that's already in front of him that he's going to have to beat out. It's not going to be an easy road back to the Oilers organization, and that's why Brett... While the Oilers do have three options, the most logical one at this point is trade. Yeah, so I think we're on on agree agreement in that 
term. I, I think you could use a change of scenery. And also, like, if you, I, I feel like if this does go well and he does get traded to a team and he does uh, go as well as expected, like, it could be one of those things where you look back and you're like, wow, Edmonton really botched this up. And you're like, I'm looking here. I'm seeing, yeah. like, he had, like, 11 minutes of ice time on average. That's not good. Like, no player can d be developed that way if you're only getting 11 minutes of ice time uh, per night. So I think it's like, well, Dub Pugliarvi isn't doing well in Edmonton. You only got 11 minutes of ice time. Um, so it's like, um, so that's that's where you get a little, like, just just give him nice time. Let's <coughs> see how it goes. <coughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm choking here. Like like that's 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 something that <coughs> is often taken for granted when a good player gets traded away and you're just thinking, Well, you guys got fleeced, you know, you didn't give him a chance, you know? And yeah. people right. forget circumstances you had to deal with the ice time that he was getting the lack of chemistry maybe with his line mates, lack of chemistry maybe even with the coach. I also think coaching has been a pivotal role, a pivotal difference as to the Edmonton Oilers in those years, good enough to make the playoffs. But now Dave Tippett all of a sudden comes in with a goaltending tan that just adds Mike Smith and subtracts Cam Talbot. And all of a sudden, they're contending for a playoff spot, right? You know, a relatively unchanged roster. You just add a new coach, and all of a sudden things change. And McDavid and Drysdale are both playing well on different lines too, and it's it's just a different story. So I, I definitely think Puliyarvi could have a bit more success with Dave Tippett as coach, um, given what's happened in previous years. But how much more success? remains to be seen so it like you said it might take a change of scenery in order for Pugliarvi to achieve his full potential because of the talent that he has to beat out in order just to get a chance to prove himself again right of course I'm so, by the way I'm apologized I guess it's not uh the right time to start having a coughing fit but um <laughs> <laughs> I'm better yeah. now. I, I don't, I don't, I think I just choked on the food I was eating at the time. It's just, yeah, like, even if, even if, even if, like, you choke on, like, some water or whatever, it just, like, starts a 30-second bit, it's the worst. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, we'll see that. Anyways, we're going quite long here, and we don't have enough time to dilly-dally you. And so, uh, yeah, you can catch us on... Um, soundcloud and itunes and spotify wherever you get your podcast um yeah and our we're, we're on twitter and facebook although you know there's not a ton of hockey news but um we'll see um so twitter is lace up lace some podcast our facebook is lace them up um and that's about it i am brett duboff I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 216 of the Lace Em Up podcast.